Hi, and welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're so excited you joined us today. No matter where in the world you are, we want you to know that you're family. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Journey Online. My name is Mike, and I'm the lead pastor And I'm honored that you're here with us today, tuning in wherever you're watching from. And I just want to ask you to do one thing with us. If you're watching, uh, right after the service, we've got a Zoom community group that meets for about 15 to 20 minutes. It's a great time for us to connect, uh, to deepen some of the words that we hear in the message. And also, it's an important time to be encouraged by one another. So I want to encourage you, if you call the journey your church home, join us after the service. Don't worry if you got makeup on or not. Don't worry if you're in your PJs or not. We're all good and we're all family, all right? So, but believe it or not, we are four weeks away from Easter Sunday. I mean, this year has already flown by. Thank God we're out of January and February. I'm here recording in the snow. I'm hoping when you're watching this that the snow is gone. We are in the month of March. We name it and we claim it winter be gone, right? But as we're looking and as we're heading into Easter, we wanted to kick off a very important and meaningful teaching series called Last Words, Sayings from Jesus at the Foot of the Cross. Now, in all honesty, we had planned to debut this teaching series last year, just before Easter, but March was when coronavirus took over, and instead of us doing last words, instead it became our last service, and so we haven't met since then. But, uh, and if you remember in the beginning, it was pretty scary in this pandemic here in the city, right? The numbers of people being infected were rising, the hospitals were overflowing, there were were trucks parked outside to store bodies, and it was a wild time. And so we decided that it was inappropriate. It wasn't the right timing for us to do a series called Last Words. But now here we are a year later. And what we're going to do is in these next few weeks, we're going to look at some of the most serious and famous words that our dying Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, shared with us. And while he was there on that cross, he uttered seven phrases that were so impactful and powerful, not, not just for his followers then, but powerful for us today as well. And in this series, we're only going to look at four of them, but our first one is going to begin from Luke chapter 23. Now, before we get to that, we got to give you some context, right? So we can see this here in the verse below. In your notes, here's what the verse says. It says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Now we're going to hit pause for a moment here because we got to look back before we keep reading in this passage. What led Jesus to this point? Now, if you remember in the Bible, it says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but would have eternal life. God gave us his son, Jesus, who was born of a virgin, Mary. And Jesus lived this perfect and sinless life, and he completely fulfilled the will of God for his life here on earth. And if you were to study his life in the Gospels, you would be amazed. I mean, he loved everyone with this unconditional kind of love. He loved the ones that society rejected. And he came in with this revolutionary, almost against the grain type message. He would talk to the religious leaders of his day and he would say, guys, you don't get it. You are the hypocrites. You're the one with the plank in the eye. You're the one that preached religion, but you don't know God personally. 
And if that wasn't enough, Jesus performed miracle after miracle after miracle. He would touch people with blind eyes and their eyes would be open. He would touch deaf ears and they would hear. He had the ability to speak to those who had died and they would literally come back to life. This was incredible. And so even though he did everything right, he was betrayed by one of his own disciples. He was taken before a mock trial and Pilate even acknowledged the fact in this man, I find no fault in him. Yet, Jesus was still falsely accused. He was still tried and condemned. And even though he was an innocent man, the creation mocked the creator. God in flesh, Jesus Christ, and they tortured him. And one of the things that we see in Scripture, all four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is they give a very detailed description of how Jesus died. You know, we read that they stripped Jesus of his clothes. They would beat him over and over again with a whip that was intertwined with metal and sharp rocks and glass that literally, when it would hit his back and they would pull it away, it would rip his back open. Excruciating, unending pain. Then they took a crown of thorns to mock the fact that he was the king of the Jews. And they took this crown of thorns and they drove it over his head so his beaten and his bruised face would then become bloody. Then they would spit on him. They would mock him. And while he was struggling to remain conscious, they would force him then to carry his own cross that he's about to die on throughout the entire city for everyone to see. Once he gets to that spot, they drive the spikes through his hands and his wrists and his feet, and then they raise him up for all to see him die. Now remember, this is the Son of God that we're talking about here. I mean, at any point, Jesus could have snapped his fingers and just said, be done with this. At any point, he could have called on some angels, WWE style, right, to drop a coronavirus elbow on them and just kind of end it right then and there. At any point, Jesus could have snapped his fingers and allowed creation to just end what was happening. But he didn't. He stayed up there and he remained for all to see. And so here's Jesus on the cross, his own creation mocking him, waiting for him to die. The entire city is there watching and waiting for his next move. And finally, at this moment, Jesus's lips begin to move. Now, if I was there, I don't know about you, but I would be leaning in at this point. I mean, what is this man about to say? Is he going to curse those who are abusing him? Is he going to pray to God for relief from the physical pain? No, we read Jesus does nothing like that. In fact, Jesus utters the first of his famous last words where he says this in your notes. It says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Powerful, right? This is so incredible. The suffering savior in the middle of his pain looks up to heaven and he prays, Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. Last words, powerful then, powerful for us today, right? And so what I want to do is because a lot of times we can look at these passages, look at Jesus's teachings and his words and kind of gloss over them and not really understand the impact of them. And so in your notes, I've put three reasons why these famous last words are so important. Let's look at the first one there in your notes. The first one is because Jesus fulfilled prophecy. Jesus fulfilled prophecy. 
Now, when we read this passage initially, it's easy for us to miss the fact that 700 years earlier, a prophet named Isaiah prophesied that one day this very moment would take place. Look at Isaiah's words 700 years earlier. It says, He poured out his life unto death. It was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Should it underline or put in bold or highlight that word intercession? Intercession is a big word. It's kind of a fancy word that simply means he prayed for his offenders. And what was his prayer? Father, forgive them. That's incredible. Now let's be real. We can't predict anything, right? I couldn't even predict who was going to win the Super Bowl. I can't predict the numbers for Powerball, let alone how well the Mets or the Yankees are going to do this season in baseball. I can't predict anything, right? But here, Jesus makes a seemingly simple statement that is fulfilling a 700-year-old prophecy through Isaiah. But that's not just all. In fact, the second thing in your notes, why is this so important, is because Jesus modeled the importance of prayer. Jesus modeled the importance of prayer. Now, during Jesus' time on earth, we read that he was a person of prayer. We read that he would often break away from crowds to spend time with God, the Father, in prayer. We even read right before he's about to be captured to be killed, he's spending his final hours in prayer. He also spent some time teaching his disciples how to pray. Matthew 6, verse 9, he says, This is how you should pray. And he starts it off with these words, our Father. Now remember, Jesus is at the final moments of his life here on earth. He's arrested, beaten, and now crucified by his own creation. And what's he doing in these final moments? He's praying on behalf of his enemies. That's powerful. In fact, Pastor Mark Driscoll, he says this uh, famous quote. He says, by praying for our enemies... We guard our own hearts so that we don't become like them. You see, Jesus was praying for those who would have been considered the furthest away from God. And that encourages me. And it should be encouraging to you as well. No matter who has hurt you, don't miss the chance to pray for them. But let me give you the third reason why this is so important. Number three is because Jesus revealed man's greatest need. He revealed man's greatest need. Now, before we look at this, let's first consider for a moment what Jesus did not pray. What did Jesus not pray? Well, well, we know Jesus didn't pray one of those TV prayers, right? Where all the TV evangelists are praying, well, be healed in Jesus' name. Be healed, right? Or I cast out the wickedness of mankind. Demon, come forth. No, No, Jesus didn't do that, right? He could have prayed that, but he didn't. Why? Well, because Jesus was praying for man's most important need, the forgiveness of sin. That's the reason why Jesus came. Not to be a king, but so that we can find forgiveness and life in him. That's why Jesus said this at the Last Supper. He's sitting around a table with his closest friends and he holds up that glass of wine and he says these words in Matthew 26, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you really think about it, is there anything greater in life knowing that you are fully and completely forgiven, accepted by God and the evidence of it by looking at the work on the cross, by giving up his life for you and I? The greatest need in life is the forgiveness of sins. 
Now, what breaks my heart is when we look at the world around us today and we see these broken and damaged relationships that we see not just in the world, but even in the Christian community, right? Relationships that should be the best, but often are the worst. In fact, I'm willing to bet right now that some of you watching, you've experienced hurts and pains and wounds that were caused by another person. Maybe for you, there was another time in your life that someone hurt you and you replay that moment over and over and over again. The pain, the process over in your mind. Some of you, you're dealing with the pain of somebody lying about you. Someone gossiped about you. Maybe someone took advantage of you. Maybe a, a Christian, a Christ follower let you down. You trusted them and they did something that was not Christ-like. Maybe some of you, you gave sensitive information to someone and they weren't faithful with it. Maybe you're mistreated at work and you, you try to do the best that you could with what you have, but people, they weren't fair with you. Maybe your spouse was unfaithful. When you were fighting for your marriage, they were running away. Maybe for some, it's not just a moment, but it's this ongoing nonstop, this person that just kind of rubs you the wrong way and you're carrying unforgiveness to some, someone or something. Maybe for you, that person died and it's been years, but you still just can't let go. The words that were spoken to you or the hurt that happened in your mind and you've held on to this bitterness for years. What do you do when you've been hurt like that? What do you do when you've been wronged? What do you do when one of the most important relationships of your life is fractured and it's broken. How do you pray, Father, forgive them when you don't feel like it? Well, here's the key thought. In fact, the key thought I want to give you today is when someone hurts you, pray. Prayer should be your first response, not your last response. Too many times when someone hurts us, we want to get them back, right? And we want to go after them. We want to show them who's boss, right? Or show them that they mess with the wrong person. But if Jesus is the model for our life, and if he's the model for our faith, which I believe he is, right? When he's up there in the cross facing the worst punishment that anyone could face, his first response is prayer. Father, Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Now, maybe you're here today and, and you struggle with this idea of praying for someone that's hurt you. Maybe you say, well, pastor, pray that I don't get to them, right? Or I'm going to pray, but I'm going to pray curses on their life. Don't do that, all right? Take a deep breath, relax, and let's try to take on the same mindset of Christ here. How do we pray, Father, forgive them? Let me give you two simple ways that you can pray. Number one in your notes is to pray for those who hurt you. Pray for those who hurt you. One of the first things that we wanna do is we wanna get back at another person, right? But the first response should be the same response as Christ, to pray for those who hurt you. And just a side note, when we're praying for them, we pray good things, not bad things, okay, right? We're New Yorkers, so I know we tend to be ruthless at times, but I just wanna make sure we're on the same page here, right? But look at what Jesus taught his disciple, or Luke 6, verse 28. He says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, when Jesus was up there hanging on the cross, who was mistreating him? 
Well, everybody, right? I mean, the Roman soldiers, they mocked him and they beat him. The Jews, they were rejecting him from the beginning and sending him to be put in trial. Some of his own disciples mistreated him. Peter disowning him at the foot of the cross. Judas betraying him. The two criminals next to him on the cross were hurling insults at him. Literally at this moment, every single person was against Jesus at that moment. Now, if you know anything about me, you know that I can't keep quiet when I feel like someone's wronging me. In fact, the Bible verse I hate the most is where Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek. Anybody relate? I don't know about you, but I have a really hard time accepting that verse because I would rather get back at everyone rather than turn the other cheek. But let me give you an example. Three years ago, my wife Danielle woke up in the middle of the night with sharp pains in her chest. She told me, Mike, I feel like I can't breathe. She felt like she was having a heart attack because she was in so much pain. And so we went to the ER. We could not know or figure out what was going on with her. They tested her heart. Her heart was fine. They had a follow-up appointment and we met with a doctor and the doctor met with us and said, it's stress. But Danielle, Danielle knew these pains were different, right? It would be intense for a few hours. Then it would go away as if nothing happened. And we went to this doctor four times, taking test after test after test, and he kept being dismissive. By the seventh time Danielle had this episode, we decided let's go to a different hospital. And finally, they got to the bottom of it and got to the real problem, which was a gallbladder. She had gallstones and they had to remove her gallbladder. The doctor that we had visited multiple times, he had lied to us, right? He had Danielle go through test after test so that he could get the proceeds from our insurance. In fact, we know this because even a group of students came to visit Danielle after her surgery and they asked her what her symptoms were. And when Danielle shared with them the symptoms, the students and the professor right then and there said, this is a quote unquote class book, classic textbook example of a gallbladder issue. How does an experienced doctor miss this? Well, reality was they don't. Now, I got to be honest, I wanted to take this doctor to the back of an alley in Forest Hills and give him what I call that five knuckle sandwich. You know what I'm talking about? Good, good punch in the face, right? I wanted to hurt him because you don't mess with my wife. You don't mess with us like that. But look, maybe you're like me and you struggle with this idea of forgiveness. You feel like, man, to forgive someone makes you feel weak or it gives them the easy road out or it's easier said than done. Look, look, I get this. But from personal experience, you've got to understand Prayer is the only way that your heart can be reconciled. Prayer's got to be our first response instead of retaliation. In fact, in your notes, here's the key thought. Here's why we pray. Because my prayer for others may not change them, but it's going to change me. My prayer for others, it may not always change them, but I know it's always going to change me. Now, why is that? Well, you can't pray God's blessing for someone's life without God first doing a work in your own life. That's why Jesus says this in Matthew chapter five. He said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So we got to pray for those who've hurt us. And then the second thing we've got to pray for is pray for restoration. Pray for restoration. Now, Jesus' prayer on the cross, it teaches us the importance of praying for those who've hurt us. But it also teaches us that we should be specific with our prayers. And part of it is to pray specifically for restoration. Let me give you an example from the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 18. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil, 
then look at this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on who? On you, live at peace with everyone. Now, the reason why this is so powerful is because it shows you and I that it might not be possible, right? I can't always control what someone else does. All I can control is what's in here, in my heart. And God calls us clearly in Scripture to do our part. In other words, if it's possible, as far as it depends on me, I'm going to do what it takes to live at peace with everyone. Do what God tells you to do. And let me tell you, do it today. If there's a broken relationship in your life, seek restoration today. Don't wait tomorrow. Don't wait till you feel like it. Don't wait till next month. Because if there's anything we've learned this past year with the COVID crisis, is that tomorrow is not always guaranteed. So take care of it today. Take care of this right now. It might mean hitting pause on this video and taking care of some relational business. It might mean not attending our Zoom call. So you got to call that person that has hurt you and release them and forgive them. But it's so important to do it. Colossians 3 verse 13, it says this, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you might have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's a powerful statement. In fact, I'm willing to bet that if you take all the wrongs that someone has done against you from everyone, add them all up, multiply them by a hundred, I guarantee you it's not going to come close to the ways that God has forgiven you. In fact, that's how good our God is, right? He forgives us instantly and completely. He forgives us every single time. Now, why is forgiving others so important? Well, Jesus leaves us with these important words. He says here in your notes, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But then look at this next part. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You see, when man was at his worst, God's Son was at his best. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Let's take a moment and let's pray. God, we thank you for this time that we can look to your word. And as we're heading into the Easter season, God, so, so many of us were reflecting on the words that you've spoken in the cross. And I, I pray that we would take these words to heart to know that at, when man was at its worst, rejecting the creator, God's son was at his best, praying, interceding on behalf of our reconciliation with God and our forgiveness. God, help us to realize that there's nothing that we can do to outrun the love of God in our lives. Help us also to realize that when we come to you, we are forgiven instantly and completely every single time. And God, I know there's some of us here today who are struggling with bitterness, struggling with pain, struggling with hurts that we've held on to for years. God, help us this very moment to reflect on the sacrifice that you paid on the cross for us and let it help us to release and open up our arms, open up our hearts to live free again, God. God, we don't want to be bound anymore by this. We don't want to be held on or shackled by bitterness. God, we want to live free and forgiven. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.